Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. The events in the following episode took place on the days between March 28th, 2018 and April 1st, 2018. What's his purpose in keeping you? In fear? Yeah. I think just control. I, I don't know. It was just a very sick thing to do. I interviewed a sociopath once. The scariest thing that was ever said to me in an interview. He said, I don't like to kill people because when they're dead they can't fear you I like to take away their happiness mm-hmm. well that, that sounds a lot like Chris Mara's actually Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed 
or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 21. It's over. So the uh, autopsy has been complete. She was positively identified. Cause of death was ruled a homicide, uh, blunt force trauma to the head. Poor family, then. It's just one thing after another. Yeah. Where did you, where did you hear that from? Nevada County Sheriff's Department posted on Facebook. Motherfuckers, and, and, and Nora didn't even know. That's unbelievable, crazy. though, right? This is my first time covering and investigating a case like this. And I'm just shocked that these kinds of things happen. That law enforcement would not have the courtesy to let a family know what happened to their daughter before publicly posting it on Facebook. And I wonder if this is a rare accident or if this kind of thing happens all the time. What strikes me as being very odd, though, is because it's truly law enforcement trauma to the head. It'd be pretty shocking that there would not have been something seen in the car. To strike somebody in the head with enough force to kill them, that's a lot of a lot of blood and there was no obvious forensic evidence in the truck. I find that hard to believe. What is obvious? Obviously, like you can't eyeball it or obvious it is... Yeah, obvious is is what what they call like the difference between patent and latent evidence. Like patent evidence you can see with your eyes. Latent evidence you need a scientific process to discover. But I just can't imagine he could get that car clean well enough to where there wouldn't be some blood stains on a seat. I mean, yeah. even if he had leather seats, and I don't know that he did or didn't, blood stains leather, like that amount of blood. And it's not like he whacked her over the head and then just pulled over and stopped and then took her right out. It's a violent and terrifying way to die. And I can't help but think back on the nightmare that Adea's mother Nora had before Adea was found, where she actually visualized her daughter beaten like this. I actually saw my family in front of me, my husband, my son, and her, and she was a bit on the side. But I said, okay, this is over. I wonder what kind of monster would be capable of doing something so brutal to a five foot five, 25-year-old woman who, as far as we know, has never really done anything to hurt anybody. So let's reconsider what may have happened in light of these new facts. Since we already know from a preliminary look at Chris's Google data that he didn't stop anywhere except for a couple of gas stations for a few minutes each on his way to his father's house, this leaves us with just three scenarios. One is that he dropped a day off somewhere on the way to his father's house. Two, is that he somehow hit her with something in the car 
which seems unlikely given what Jaden is saying. And three is that when Chris arrived at his father's, Idea was alive, a possibility that's never been considered before. We are more determined than ever, as is Adea's family, to find out exactly what happened, who's responsible, and why. And it just so happens that I've been invited by Jade Spots, Chris's mom, to attend her son's funeral in Fort Morgan, Colorado, where everyone we've been speaking with will likely be. And because of this, Jaden has some serious concerns for my safety. Turn it on, let's get it uh, so it's activated. Okay. We're activating now. So you're pressing that green button? Yep, pushing the, pushing the big button in the middle. We're gonna get uh, initializing lights. One's gonna start flashing green, the other's gonna start flashing red. All right, we're waiting for, waiting for it to pick up signal. So tell me how this works. This is gonna set a, send a satellite ping to you every five minutes Correct, and I'll, I'll monitor the whole time you're up there. So yeah, every five minutes, it'll send out your location, and you know, that, that's obviously all waterproof, impact resistant, plenty of battery life, until we need to come up there and recover you. So when you, when you went there, you had a tracker on you? I did. Who was following you, who was tracking you? Uh, my wife. When you get up there, you'll see, it's a little eerie feeling driving into that little town and nice. seeing the Spots Brothers this and the Spots that. It's a little weird. Jaden gives me a number of warnings. He feels that anybody there could be a suspect or have something to hide. For one thing, Chris Morez, Chris's biological father, has told us that he's planning on coming to the funeral. And Jaden has been working to get some documents from the Colorado Sheriff's Department that he believes will show another side of Chris Morez. And while I trust Mary and the rest of Chris's family, Jaden hasn't directly communicated with them. And when he was in Fort Morgan looking for Chris, he felt stonewalled. Realistically, is there anything they would do? I mean, I feel like if somebody... I feel like if somebody did that, it would be under the guise of like giving you some information. Mm -hmm. You know, if they wanted to get you somewhere under some, you know, cloak and dagger thing, they would knock on your door and say, hey, you know, we want to talk to you about something. We want to tell you something that's oh. real secret. Okay. You know, and then I would not probably go back to their house or anything like that. Chapter 22, Don't Fight For Me. Right now, I'm parked outside the home of Jade and Jack Spots, Chris's mother and stepfather. I'm exactly where Jaden told me not to go, but I'm also finding Chris's family to be incredibly kind and welcoming. Just a few hours earlier, they all sat in the pews of their church here in Fort Morgan, Colorado. Over a hundred of Chris's relatives and friends were there to mourn him. Outside of a small police presence, there was nothing out of the ordinary. The procession continued to a cemetery nearby where messages for Chris were written on balloons that were sent into the sky. He was a sports star, a leader, an inspiration 
a role model, someone who had a positive impact on those around him. There was not a single person who had anything bad to say about Chris, privately or publicly. Obviously, it's unlikely that someone would be disparaged given this scenario, but it's just hard to reconcile this image with that of a cold-blooded killer who lured Adea to Northern California and somewhere along the way supposedly beat her to death and buried her. And that's why Chris's family has me here. They're finding this whole thing just hard to believe. So the basement's packed too. So we have the office or our bedroom or... Why don't we go into the office and close the glass doors? All right. Okay. There might be some background noise. But I, and I think it will be better than You want me to carry anything? Yeah. Okay. Thank you for coming to see the funeral and everything. I've been totally thrilled. Jade and Jack set up a space in their office for me to conduct interviews. After it's arranged, I walk outside to the backyard where Chris's friends are drinking beers and talking about college basketball. Mary is here, Brian is here, and Chance is here, sitting off to the side with his girlfriend, his head in his hands, looking haunted by the experience he had with Chris. I sit down with Chance, and we begin talking about his last conversations with Chris. And he tells me how it wasn't just the police and the Albanian mob that Chris was worried about. Well, he said it was just a matter of time before uh, it got leaked to the press, and his agent had told him that if that happened, they were going to drop him because it was going to be the end of his acting career, no matter what the outcome. And he, he would be a complete and total failure and have absolutely no future in Hollywood. That's what, his, that's what his fucking agent told him. As we're speaking, Mary approaches him. How are you doing? I feel compelled to have a conversation with you. Okay. She's never spoken with Chance before. Not just about what happened on Chris's final road trip with him, but ever. I speak for a while with Brian, one of Chris's oldest friends, who Adea's loved ones strongly believe was in Adea's apartment after she disappeared, deleting her computer data. Brian and I review our conversation from after Chris died, and I learn that Brian wasn't even in L.A. at the time Adea disappeared. His girlfriend and others confirm that he'd already moved back to Colorado. Brian has some things he wants to ask about the investigation, and I have more questions for him, too. So we make plans to speak on the phone later. Everyone here is just confused and wants answers. And each seems to hold a different piece of the puzzle. On camp, we'll give you a spot for your stuff. We'll make a little circle, semi-circle. See, we can use another chair, probably, or two. You want me to grab a chance? As the gathering dissipates, Mary, Jack, and Jade gather in the office for the first time together to make sense of some of the things that have happened. They start off by talking about Chris's last words as the police were chasing him, which were not to Chance, but to Mary and Jade. And then made a phone call to me to tell me, I'm breaking up with you. Go live your life. I love you. He must have said that to me like five times during that phone call. 
So I was like, Chris, what's going on? He's like, nothing, nothing, Mary, nothing's going on. Did you talk to the lawyer? No, I love you, I love you, I love you. And he hung up and I called him back and I, he said, talk to the lawyer. I said, okay, he said, I love you. And again, he hung up and I couldn't reach him again. That's what he called, just to set me free so I could go live my life. And my life was with him. On this final ride, Chris also called his mother Jade. As with Mary, he didn't tell her what was happening. When he called me on the drive, he said, Mom, what are you doing? And I said, we just had popes over here. We were praying for you. And he said, listen to me, Mom. I got to tell you something important. So I put him on speakerphone. And he said, first of all, I want to say I love you. You're amazing. And you were the best mom. You rocked it. And I said, well, you're pretty amazing too, sweetie. He said, I want you to tell Robbie, Shane, and Bailey how much I love them. Tell everybody how much I love them, Mom. I don't know how things are going to shake out here, but I'm good. You don't have to fight for me. I'm good. And I know he was saying I'm good with, with God. He said, I'm good. Just remember, you're the glue that holds this family together, so you have to be strong. But he was so calm. I didn't know he was in a high-speed race. I didn't know everything that was going on. And he said, I love you, Mom. And then he hung up. If I had known that was the last time I was going to talk to him, I would have said a lot more things. And, and what do you think he meant by don't fight for me? Like... I, think, I think he meant don't fight with Big Chris. I think he was afraid that Chris Maris would come after me again. That's one interpretation of Chris saying, don't fight for me. Another interpretation is that perhaps it was a veiled confession. Either way, we really need to know more about Chris Merez. And fortunately, while I've been in Colorado, Jaden has gotten a hold of police records about him. He told Jaden and I that he'd be attending the funeral and I was hoping to talk to him in person. But I didn't notice him there at all. By the way, I was going to ask, so one thing I was going to ask, was, was, Chris, was Chris Merez there at all or no? No, he was not. No. No. He, well, he, and he was the reason that the police were there, um, just to make sure nothing crazy would happen and we could remember Chris the way we wanted to. He was the main reason. And to make sure, you know, if press tried to pull into the parking lot, at least they could be moved off the property. I tell them about the police documents that Jaden has just obtained. And that's when they tell me the full story of Chris Spots and his biological father, who is alternately referred to as Chris Merez and Chris Merez. Jade is sharing this story after much discussion and after decades of terror. She has gone to the police numerous times for protection. And for many, many years, they did nothing to protect her or keep her safe. But she hopes that by getting her story out there, especially in this time when our culture is changing and these stories are starting to get told, enough people will know about it that if anything happens in the future, there will be safety, support, and justice.
Her story begins when she was 15 and Chris Merez was 14. Chris and I were never married. I was very young. Chris and I had been boyfriend and girlfriend, but then one night things went too far. I felt like I had been attacked, so we didn't see each other. Then I found out I was pregnant, and I had to tell him I was pregnant. I'm assuming like when you said attacked, it was like something that was against your... Yes, yeah. I I felt like I had been pressured or attacked uh, by Chris. I didn't feel comfortable. But like I said, we had dated. There wasn't like date rape back then. You know, you got yourself in these situations and then you couldn't get yourself out. Uh, you didn't make a big deal out of it because you were, it was, it was always the girl's fault. At least I felt. Well then his grandparents who lived here came to our house and said, you two have to get married now. And um, my mom said yes, and I was just terrified, terrified of him. And I just said, no, no, you know, we'll raise this baby together, but I can't marry him. And I just begged my mom not to make me. He was always very scary to me. Jade filed statements and documents about Chris Merez with four different police departments in Colorado. According to one of the statements, filed in Aurora, Jade was in the car with Chris Merez about four months after Chris Spots was born. He was supposed to drive her home. But when Chris Merez started driving down back roads in another direction from her home, Jade jumped out and began running. The statement continues. He caught me, threw me on the ground, and started telling me how much he loved me, that I'd put him through hell. He was saying all that while he was undoing his pants on top of me. I was screaming crying. According to the statement, Chris Merez then sexually assaulted her. When she threatened to tell the police, quote, he just laughed and stated, no one would believe me. A year and a half later, according to the statement, Jade was at her mother's house with Chris Merez, while Chris Spots, still an infant, slept on the couch. She told Chris Merez that she wanted him out of her life and he became angry and punched a hole in the wall. When Jade threatened to call the police, the statement continues, Chris Merez slapped her on the face and she fell to the ground. The baby woke up and began crying and, quote, I tried to get up to calm my son when Chris grabbed me by the throat and said that I could never leave. He then started choking me. I remember thinking I was going to die. Chris Merez then picked up the baby kicked Jade in the stomach and told Jade, and I quote the statement here, he could kidnap my son so easily that I would never see him again, that I better behave myself or he would do it. As soon as I could get away, I got away. Um, So Chris and I moved to Aurora and within weeks, Big Chris had found me and slashed my tires. He always just wanted to scare me. So he was working at uh, the beef plant here in town, and they have big knives, meat-slicing knives. In less than 10 years, Jade moved 12 times, trying to get away from Chris Merez. But he would always find her. According to police records, Chris Merez would threaten to kill her and himself if she ever slept with another man. He would call her employers and accuse her of fraud. 
he would follow her, spy on her, harass her, steal things, and break into her house. Jade describes one such incident. We spent the night at my mom's house. The next morning, I was driving home, and as soon as I drove home, I knew something was up because the front gate wasn't closed like I had closed it. So I told my kids, wait right here, let me go in. And when I went in, the living room was fine, the kitchen was fine, but as I went to the bedrooms, I could see in the corner of my eye. My bedroom had, the walls had been knifed, all my clothes were on the floor, the dresser drawers were out, uh, my underwear was everywhere, and the bed had been stabbed several times, and there was a huge knife left in my bed. When Jade called the police, they refused to believe that it was Chris Morez. But years later, Chris Morez's roommate, a man named Mike Gomez, came forward to the police and confessed to having written the note for Chris and waited outside for him while he was in Jade's house. I've seen a copy of the note from the Aurora Police Records, and it reads, Hello, I have been watching you. I know where you live. I know where you work. I know where you are all the time. I know where your boyfriend lives. I know where he works. But that doesn't matter because he can't help you. No one can. I will be watching you. The letter is then signed with an upside down cross. A few days later, Jade received another note, this one in the mail. It read, hello, how have you been since I got into your house? and seen all of your private thing and your fucking boyfriend's thing. I have been watching you every day and my lust for you grows deeper. I can't control myself any longer. You shall soon be mine. So watch out because I will get you sooner or later. There is a PS at the bottom of the note and it reads, when are you going out again? Ha, 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 ha. Because I was so terrified, I was running like a rat in a cage because I would tell people it was Chris Maras, and even some of my own family would say, he loves you and he loves Christopher and he's so nice. And they, no one believed the things that were happening was Chris and I couldn't convince them. You know, people in our church, my family members, they didn't believe me. They, they said he was such a nice guy. And he could have caught me. He could have caught me. And that's what they would say. If Chris wanted to kill you, he would kill you. If he wanted to catch me, he could have caught me. He didn't want to catch me. He wanted me to be afraid. Eventually, Chris Morez moved to Northern California. But as Chris Spots grew up, he began asking questions about his father. Until one day, when Chris Spots was eight, Jade took him to meet his dad. And he would say, who am I like? Why, why am I this way? And, and my family, who loved Chris Merez, would always say, oh, you're just like your dad. You're just like Chris Merez. And so he wanted to see him. So I took Chris Defer to California, to Sacramento. Nothing had changed with Chris Merez. The very first night we were there, I put Christopher to bed and Chris Maris said, he wants to sleep with me, he wants to sleep with me. Let me sleep in that room with Christopher. You've already got him asleep, let me just sleep in that room with him. So I said, 
okay, because I felt like an idiot being saying, no, I don't trust you. Well, then what in the hell was I doing in California if I didn't trust him? I mean, all these things were coming back. So I said, okay. So I let Chris and Chris Mares sleep in the same room together. I fell asleep in another room. And that very first night was woken up with Chris on top of me, holding my mouth closed. Nothing had changed. Nothing had changed. And then afterwards, when I said I was calling the police, he reiterated, who's going to believe that? I flew all the way out to California. Come on. I must have wanted that. When Chris was around 10, Jade managed to have an arrest warrant issued for Chris Merez on charges of stalking. But Chris Merez was never found, and the warrant expired a few years later. Chris Merez did not return several recent phone calls and texts that I made to ask for his response to these specific allegations, but I will continue to follow up so that I can get his comments. As for Jade, she ended up marrying Jack Spots, a childhood friend, 24 years ago. And Chris Merez allowed Jack to adopt Christopher when he was 10. That was just a relief. I mean, it was a wonderful thing, but it was such a relief to me because I didn't have to be afraid of him lurking around anymore. Then suddenly, after years of complete silence, Chris Merez called Jade out of the blue. And this call came right after Adea disappeared. He said, Chris came. He Did you know, you know where Chris is? I'm like, no. And he said that Chris had come and seen him. And he said, you know, I don't know. I don't know. He was here 15 minutes. He was 15 minutes. He like wanted to fight me. And so he was here only 15 minutes. He would drive five hours to see his dad 15 minutes. Only, and he just kept saying 15 minutes. When I was telling Chris about the call, I said, how long were you really there? I don't know, Mom. I said, I know it wasn't 15 minutes because he, if it was, he wouldn't have said it like 25 times. How long were you there and what were you doing there? And um, Chris wouldn't tell me. He just said that, that he was an idiot and he said, I didn't stay there, Mom. I went to a hotel. But Chris just, he, was, he goes, don't even talk to him. If he calls you, don't talk to him anymore. I said, unfortunately, I'll always talk to him. He is your father, and I'm not going to make him, like, want to hunt me down. Um, every time that Chris called, though, he would reiterate that Christopher was there for 15 minutes. And so just the way that he would do it, I knew something was not right with that. We even wonder if it seems like the press connected him first. And he pointed him towards us to deflect attention from himself. He gave my phone number to Adea's family, and they started calling me. Yeah, that even type of deflection. He gave them your number? Wow. And my name, and yeah. I'm, just, I'm shocked that he gave oh. all your numbers. He would throw anyone under the bus for himself. Jade shares one last significant memory. It's about a stop Chris made before leaving Colorado on his final road trip with Chance. As Jade speaks, I recall Chance telling me that Chris felt that the only person he could still count on besides Chance was his grandmother. 
one other thing um my mom said that christopher and her were talking one-on-one and that my mom was crying and said i love you so much christopher other than your mom i love you more than anyone in this world and christopher said grandma do you love me enough to kill someone and my mom said chris that would not be love that would be doing something to control you you don't kill somebody out of love for someone else you kill someone to control the person that you think you're doing a favor for that was probably 2 days before chris left colorado to go there and um my mom told me about this conversation and was referring to chris morez when he was talking to your mom that's what we think both my me and my mom think oh my god that was he was referring to chris morez as the conversation ends i thank chris's parents for their time and for sharing so much with me and i hope it's nice it's good to talk about today i hope it's not totally good okay just in the fact that you care about what really happened you know we don't need somebody that's going to say i'm on chris's side if somebody's going to look for the truth that's all we want i just and if it doesn't come out that way we're going to live with it but we'd like the truth and i don't think we have much truth right now i told christopher um i said chris you've never had to lie to me you don't have to now if you have done something bad i am not your judge and juror chris i realize you are human and people can get pushed to the brink if you have done something bad please tell me so that i know how to stand if i need to stand in a humble stance apologizing for you praying for forgiveness for you tell me the truth otherwise i'm standing like you've been the victim and like i need to protect you just tell me the truth and he said mom i didn't hurt anyone but i should have never dropped her off i knew she was in danger after i leave the spots's house my head is swimming with all this information and emotion there's so much i need to process and go through and i still need to take a full day to deep dive into chris's google data and see what's there but there's one small detail that keeps nagging at me why did chris morez call jade after so many years just to let her know that he'd gotten into an argument with chris there's something off about that call so when i get back to la the next day I phone Jade and ask her more about it. You know what? I have my notes. I have notes. Really? Let me just go look at my notes really quick. 224. Chris Merez called me first time in a long time. He made it sound like he was going to fix everything. He was trying to be the hero. I remember he said specifically over and over again. Girls go missing from LA all the time. And I it scared me and I said he said people go missing from LA all the time and it scared me. I said is Christopher going to go missing? He's like no, no, the girl and I said oh my god, Mary is is going to what's, you know, what's going to happen to Mary and he said no, the little one, the other girl, the little one. 
and um, I said, how do you know this? How, how do you know this? And he said, oh, she's missing. She's missing. And none of that was on the news. None of that was anywhere yet. Well, here's the thing, Jade. Mm-hmm. How would he know she was little if he's never met her? Right, right. And he, he did say the little one. And what do you think was his intention in calling you? Because obviously it's not in the news yet. No one's even looking for her. I think that the whole time that he was talking to me, I felt like he was saying, Chris had a problem and he came to me for help, not you. You don't even know about this. I know it and you don't. What time was it that Chris Morris called? Was it one twenty or 11? I asked Jade if she's comfortable sending me her phone bill so I can verify the date and time that Chris Merez called. It seems hard to believe. Before I go on, it's important to remember a few details. Adeya Shabani was last seen on Friday, February 23rd, leaving her building with Chris Spots. Adeya's friends didn't do a welfare check on her until two days later on Sunday, February 25th. And they didn't file a missing persons report until the following day, Monday, February 26th. But when I look at Jade's bill, I see an 11-minute conversation with Chris Merez, her first call with him in years. The time is 12.20 p.m. And the date? Saturday, February 24th. A full day before anyone else knew that Adea Shibani was missing. To Live and Die in L.A. is a production of Tenderfoot TV and myself, Neil Strauss, in conjunction with Cadence 13. The executive producers of this podcast are Donald Albright, Payne Lindsay, and myself, along with producers Alex Vespasted and Mike Rooney. Original music and score by Makeup and Vanity Set. Theme song, Love and More, by Flurry, and show art and design by Trevor Eiler. The editing is by Alex Vespasted, with additional mixing by Resonate Recordings. Nationally, 7.5 million people are stalked every year. Approximately 1 in 6 women and 1 in 17 men have experienced stalking at some point in their lifetime. If this happens to you or to a friend, call Safe Horizon. Their phone number, it's free. It's 1-800-621-HOPE. That's 1-800-621-4673. If you are in immediate danger, of course, call 911. In addition to a hotline, Safe Horizon has an array of programs. They deal with domestic abuse. They help you navigate the criminal justice system. And they give you resources to help you heal yourself and your family from the psychological toll of this kind of terror. It's all free. And there are people out there who have experience who can help. One of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is to specifically ask for information on behalf of both families now involved. So if you know anything about anyone involved, 
even if it doesn't appear to relate directly to this case, please email us at livediela at tenderfoot.tv or call us at 213-204-2073. We can keep your name and identity completely anonymous if you want. Special thanks to Rich Berner, Kevin Richter, Chris Corcoran, Oren Siegel, Brian Fishback, Ingrid Della O, Oren Rosenbaum at UTA, Resonate, and the Nord Group. Thank you for listening, for subscribing, and for your feedback. <laughs>